This Week in HPC. SRC takes FPGAs to hyperscale. And Rescale takes HPC to the cloud. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. This Week in HPC is available in partnership with our friends at top500.org. How's it going, Michael? Very well, Addison. Having a good week this week. We've uh, talked to a couple of companies that we don't talk about a lot, but they've got some new technologies out there that will be interesting to talk about this week. Yeah, and they're sort of tangentially related. One of them is about focused on hyperscale applications. The other one, in a different sense, is is, is focused on that, but in a, in a more HPC-focused area. And very different, uh, very different offerings, but uh, again, sort of on the same lines. Well, let's do SRC first. This hyperscale-related company, SRC, has a new architecture that they've launched that might remind some of our users of other architectures we've seen that. Are FPGA-based, uh, like, for example, for Convey, but uh, targeting uh, broader than HPC, looking especially at the hyperscale market. Right. SRC Computers has sort of been in the business for a while. I mean, they were they were a little bit active in HPC uh, several years ago. Then they went off into the defense business and sold their their FPGA uh, hardware systems to, to basically be onboard embedded systems for, for things like radar and navigation, things that required like very low power infrastructure because it was it was off off the grid. Now they've come up with something called the Saturn one server, which is now aimed back into the data center using the, uh, much of the same technology, FPGAs linked up with uh, general purpose processors. And the big point with Saturn is that it gives them uh, a dense footprint and also very low power, so they can target these scalable markets, in particular hyperscale areas where you want to do, say, real-time analytics transactions very quickly. Right, and, and the way they've done this, it's not just a simple FPGA card add-on to a server. They've done something much more like what Convey uh, did and was doing. Uh, they've, they've linked up FPGAs and integrated into a system uh, so that it's linked up other than on a, on a PCI bus. And uh, they've uh, sort of wrapped all this up, integrated it with some, uh, some software development tools that they say is uh, much more high level than the, uh, the HDL and Verilog that most people program with. And, and they're offering this sort of a, uh, a more developer-friendly solution uh, that uh, a lot more people can get access to. Now, we'll come back to that software environment in a second, because I think that's critical to the story here. But yeah. this is all built on top of their own uh, MAP or MAP reconfigurable processor, right? Right. Exactly. Right. They've had that for a while. They've been developing that along with that software development environment. And, and here they sort of productized it onto, onto a board. And it's going to be offered by HP in their Moonshot uh, architecture, as well as separately in other venues you can buy directly from them and, and sort of build your own. But it's it's very low-power boards. Each each server board is about 50 watts or a little bit less because um, they use this FPGA low-power there and, a, and like an Atom, an Intel Atom processor. It's the general-purpose processor. But you're, you're really hitting right on it with regards to the architectural uh, notion behind these 
these systems is that they're trying to integrate or unify their their MAP uh, or FPGA processors with the general purpose processors, where their their MAP uh, reconfigurable processors are really focused on the data intensive parts of the workload. So, you know, a lot of times with uh, any kind of coprocessor or accelerator, we've thought of those as being the compute intensive part of the work. I think an interesting piece of differentiation here with SRC is they really do seem to be focused on data-heavy workloads. Right, very, very high bandwidth to memory and, and the, uh, the, the connection between the processor and the FPGA piece is, is very fast. So they're targeting things uh, here with like transaction processing, real-time transaction processing, uh, certainly hyperscale big data analytics, streaming applications, signal processing, which is sort of their, their legacy in, in aerospace and defense. Um, but also financial services, more typical HPC type things with low latency processing for things like options pricing, risk management, that sort of thing. So um, it looks like hyperscale, but sort of with a with a heavy HPC-ish flavor as well. Now I said I'd come back to the programming environment, and this is when I'll do it. The company very rightly uh, admits the fact that software environments have been a, a traditional limiting factor in the adoption of any kind of co-processor, and here this is something they're going to have to address as well. Now, just as uh, we've seen with things like uh, uh, CUDA for NVIDIA GPUs or, or other types of co-processors that have had their own programming environments, SRC has the CART programming environment, C-A-R-T-E, CART. Uh, they've been uh, shipping it since 2002, and this is the interface with which you program the FPGAs. Right. I think it's, uh, it offers a C interface and possibly a Fortran interface, so you can sort of program it in your in your favorite uh, technical computing language or business computing language, and, and, and get the uh, it automatically uh, puts the code and, and parallelizes it for the FPGA. I mean, it would be quite a feat to actually do this effectively. They're claiming you can actually port an application in, in as little as three days. Um, it, it's sort of hard to imagine how to do this with a typical C program because basically C programs are written for, for sequential CPUs, and with FPGAs, it's a very different uh, software model. So uh, that compiler must be doing quite a bit of magic to get any kind of uh, even performance out of, out of something just with uh, sort of a simple compilation and, and reporting. Well, you used a couple of key phrases there. First of all, you said automatic parallelization, and then later in, in your comment, you said the word magic. And you know, <laughs> if they actually have automatic parallelization for any kind of processor, that is a mag bit of magic or holy grail that I think the industry has been striving for for a long time. Now, it always comes down to implementation and you know how well can you actually do this. Now, this is a, another direction that really points to some of these areas in big data or hyperscale that they're going after. They do have one marquee customer already in their uh, publicly facing materials, a company called Jingit, which uh, basically does real-time uh, big data uh, or real-time analytics uh, when you make a, a credit card transaction, either in the store or online, and you're trying to do analytics um, based on that transaction in order to serve up ads 
ads or relevant coupons, understand what people are buying. And that has to be done within a very short time frame. Right. You're dealing here with someone who obviously has their own custom algorithm, and if you can get them to implement it uh, through your, uh, your parallel programming interface onto this custom processor, uh, they're, they're claiming uh, really steep performance gains based on that. Right. I mean, they're, they're talking about 100x uh, performance improvements over, over a traditional platform, and, and maybe they've achieved that on Jenga. It's, it's it, probably the, the algorithm there was very well suited to that. It, it's sort of hard to imagine how you would get there in three days, but maybe you could port it in three days and then you know tweak it and work on it and, and, and get it going so you can get that 100x improvement. Certainly, FPGAs are capable of, of that sort of thing. It, it usually just takes uh, a, a bit of time to, to develop those algorithms so that they work that way. As we've said repeatedly, we're in an era of architectural diversity, and here's yet another option that's, I think, well-targeted to a specific set of end users. Now, Michael, uh, we've got a, another company with a pretty specialized offering in the news this week in HPC. Rescale is now uh, put together a suite of services for taking on HPC applications, particularly ISV applications, across an array of cloud services. Yeah, what they what they look like they've done here is basically become the middleman. They've brought together hardware in the, in the form of like 30 plus uh, data centers, including HPC data centers, uh, and then this, like you mentioned, the the ISV software. And they brought these together into a, a single platform and offer sort of like an a la carte thing where you can buy uh, software and the and the hardware underneath it uh, on a. On a different basis, up to hourly or weekly or whatever, and uh, it's quite a diversity of software. I mean, they've talked about things like Dassault and Siemens PLM, CD Adapco, Ansys, MSC Software, sort of the typical, uh, some of the typical ISVs we hear a lot about in HPC, and then they've matched that up with a variety of HPC or HPC-ish uh, hardware data centers. Yeah, and there are really two aspects or two critical dimensions of this announcement. One is that they claim to have a range of uh, hardware backends available. So you might work with a traditional uh, HPC supercomputer center to get a specialized kind of configuration, or you've got you know the Amazons and Microsoft Azures and Google Clouds of the world also as available resources. That's one aspect. The other aspect is the partnerships with the ISV community where I can either bring my own license or get a temporary utility-based license from Rescale and then apply them to the back-end resource of my choice. Right, and they've done this in such a way that it's sort of a sort of a unique offering. They've, they've covered a lot of bases here. I mean, in a sense, they haven't offered a whole lot that's new. They've sort of just brought it under one platform and and presumably made it easier to use and, and a little more flexible than maybe you could you could do on your own with more legwork. Um, but it, it's certainly a large infrastructure. They're talking about 8 million plus servers they have on tap and like 1,400 plus petaflops of compute. Now, not all that is going to be available at once, but that's sort of the, the hardware infrastructure behind it. And paired with uh, sort of a wide offering of software, it makes for uh, an interesting offering. 
Well, I mean, I think it's interesting in the sense of you like to read an article that says cloud is good and HPC is good and therefore isn't HPC in the cloud good. And you know, this is something that we've discussed at great length over the last couple of years. And we do see an uptick now beginning in cloud utilization for HPC applications, but it's still a much smaller part of the market than I think a lot of people outside might think it is. We track this very carefully in our budget allocation maps uh, and on end user surveys, and it, it just really has not taken off for a wide swath of the market. Now, what you're dealing with here, I think, is a little problematic because once you drill down past the, is an HPC in the cloud a, a nice sounding idea, that what you have is, it's, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly who the target customer is is here. Is it an experienced HPC user? And therefore, what I really need is the diversity in, in architectures, because I'm looking for something specialized? Or is it an inexperienced HPC user? And what I need is, is ease of use in the cloud that I can you know, bring a utility license to? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question, because they, they certainly haven't uh, revealed much about the pricing model, but they 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 talk as if they're going after maybe smaller shops, and, and in many cases smaller engineering shops. But they they also don't look at themselves as offering like just this spot, um, you know, overflow. They they're looking for longer term commitments to this infrastructure, and supposedly they they started to do that with a few few of their customers. But it's it's not clear to me from from what's uh, What's public on on how they're competing against you know, sort of more more individual uh, access to the cloud, like just Amazon itself, like just going to Amazon, right? Unless right. the the licensing model or or license agreements are are proprietary to rescale, some kind of exclusive arrangement where I can't do that utility pricing without them. I'm not sure what the long term competitive advantage is to someone just going to uh, Amazon if they know what they're doing. Now you can get a certain amount of handholding, I'm sure, but there are also companies out there like Cycle Computing that are happy to help you set things up and uh, uh, and, and others. And, uh, you know, so to me, I, I'm just wondering exactly what the target market is here. I, I'm having a hard time seeing it going forward. I, I'm sure you can find individual customers, but at a very high cost of sales, and they're going to be low-volume customers until they develop, which takes a long time. So I know they're well-funded, but people aren't going to run to the cloud just because it's the cloud. Yeah, I mean, maybe sort of the strategy here, since they have such a large inf infrastructure and a, and a sort of a wide array of of licensing and licensing options, that they'll get a lot of different customers. They won't rely on like one or two or three big customers. They'll just get a lot of smaller shops uh, tapping in and and build up the revenue stream that way. It's, it's I mean, they've just started this, so I'm assuming that's that's not the case today. But maybe that's the uh, the long term. Uh, plan here. I guess so. We'll keep tracking it. We've got our new budget map data that's ready to go out on top of our storage survey that we just started releasing to clients. And as we've mentioned, we're heading into uh, you know another conference uh, season. We've got a, a lot going on, including building up to uh, the ISC conference. So you know, we'll obviously continue to track it. Uh, we'll continue to track cloud. We'll continue to track big data. We'll continue to track hyperscale. And these are all rich, robust, and evolving parts of the HPC market.
yeah, we seem to have a lot of uh, a lot of stories about those those last three topics lately. So I'm sure we'll see a lot at these upcoming conferences as well. So all right, terrific. Well, thanks very much, Michael, for joining me, and thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to this week in HPC. You've been listening to this week in HPC. 